We're so excited for this week's episode of Truly Twinning, and we're joined by a special guest who works closely with Kat, um, and so I'll kick it over to her so that we can get this going. Yeah, so we're so excited to have Andrew Jorgis, who started the Jorgis Law Firm here in New York City. He handles all things real estate in New York, Brooklyn, the Bronx, Queens, I feel like you name it, he's doing it in the Big Apple. And I met Andrew in the end or fall of 2019. So right when I ventured into real estate and into being self-employed and starting a business, and I was working on what I thought was a really difficult deal. But then as you have more experience, you learn that what I thought was a big deal isn't actually a big deal anymore. But I met Andrew during this really challenging deal and he ever since then has been a great friend, business partner, mentor, someone that I can really go to when I need help, advice, or quite honestly to like bitch about how challenging this industry can be. Uh, so Andrew, do you wanna get a little intro about yourself and your business? Absolutely, yes. Thank you, first and foremost, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm very excited to be joining your podcast today. Um, yeah, I can't believe it's been, so we met in the fall of uh, 2019, which seems like ages ago, and the majority of our deals have been through COVID, Yeah. right? So uh, just an interesting year and a half to two years of real estate deals. A lot of them that we've worked on have had its, you know, their fair share of issues on them and we find solutions. But yeah, I'm, you know, I have my own practice. Um, I have uh, office space down in Battery Park in lower Manhattan and I've been in real estate for um, about 10 years. I've had my own practice now since the beginning of this year and love being self-employed. Um, I represent buyers and sellers throughout the city, buying co-ops, condos, townhouses, and anything. I mean, I've done parking spaces, vacant land. If you could buy it and sell it, I've, I've been involved in some way with it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, thank you. For, I don't know where we want, where you, what, you know, kind of an open-ended question, but nice to oh, have, nice that to was, yeah, that was <laughs> No, that was yeah. good. And one like sort of not that very serious question before Kat dives into our interview, Andrew, was just, what is it really like to work with Kat? Because I feel like when I um, considered it, I didn't really think that I would ever be here working with my twin sister. And I just wonder to people who are not related to her, what it's really like. <laughs> So, yeah, I met Kat a couple years ago, and when I first met her, my initial reaction was, okay, she's new to real estate, fairly new at that time to real estate. Right. Um, I'm meeting her for the first time. You know, maybe maybe we'll work on a deal in the next six months, eight months, ten months, a year, and we worked almost immediately together. So I went from thinking that she was just kind of figuring her way out in the business to then immediately realizing she's got, <laughs> I mean, she's figured it out, and she's full steam ahead and she's got clientele and she's, you know, quickly working through the issues that, that young agents work through. And then I've, she's a shark. I mean, she works for files. She's on top of everything. Her clients love her. Um, and it's just a very, from what I first thought, it was different yeah. in a good way. Yes, we're sitting together this one. Yes. For Sam, that's hard to believe. As I told you, Andrew, Sam is 20 minutes older than me which means she's the official boss bitch. 
like it's only the two of us. So for and not, her, a, not a day go, not a day goes by where she doesn't let you. Uh, she's reminded. She doesn't remind me of that, but also I am like the baby, so I like secretly like love leaning on her for things, but she secretly loves bossing me around. So it somehow works. But when I'm like thriving on my own, I think she's like, wait, she does that really? <laughs> well, we just play into older child, you know, oldest child, youngest child, even though we're yeah. the same age. So it's just fun. so it's twenty seconds is the difference. Is that what I heard? Twenty minutes. minutes. Twenty minutes. Minutes. Okay. Our That's poor mother. Easy. I know. Yeah. Our mom's the the real queen. God bless that woman. It was that was rough. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> they do make podcasts for that. They do make podcasts. Yeah, right. All right, Sam, did you have anything else to ask Andrew or should I? No, you can dive in. Okay, so Andrew, my first question for you, because I think to people watching this, being in New York City real estate, but then being a lawyer and really advising and negotiating contracts seems so intimidating and scary, right? So how did you even get started in this? Was it something you always aspired to do? Or what did you just know going into college, this is where you wanted to be? So in college, I uh, was an accounting major and started working at um, one of the big four accounting firms at a college. And it just, I knew almost immediately it wasn't for me. Like anybody who's taken a 400 level accounting course in college is like, you know, this is probably, sorry, my dog is ruffling around down there. Uh, it's probably, you know, it's either for you or it's not for you. And counting just was not my thing. I did not like it. Uh, I didn't think that I could be kind of creative uh, in that industry. And so I always liked real estate, always thought it was interesting you come into New York City as a kid and you look up at, you know, at the buildings and you're like in awe as to the size of them and what goes on in there and, you know, who lives here. It, as a kid, like I was just intrigued by New York. So worked in accounting, left after about a year and then went to law school and then immediately fell in love with real estate. All my property law classes were interesting and inspiring. Um, I worked for a real small real estate practice while I was in law school and just fell in love with it. Um, the properties you see, the issues you deal with, the personalities, every deal is different. It's, it's got its, no, its own you know, nuance to it. Even though people think that they're cookie cutter deals, a co-op sale, a condo sale, each one has its own, has its own feel to it. And I love it. I just, I, I, I still, every deal that comes in, I still am intrigued by the particulars of that deal. So um, yeah, it's, I got into it just, by process of not wanting to be an accountant. Yeah, I was gonna say, just by realizing that being an accountant does sound fucking boring. I mean, let's face it. I couldn't do that job and I need an accountant. So thank God people are talented at that because I'm not detail oriented. I can't stare at a computer screen all day. Like I have to have a middle ground of like out in the field and then back at my desk that's like a real skill. And I feel like it's, you love it or you hate it. Yeah, no, I, again, I think in college, I knew that I wasn't going to like it, but <laughs> you go through four years of college and you're like, well, I mean, hell, am I not going to, am I not going to go into the profession that I studied to go into? And so I did. And uh, yeah, you know, it was just not for me. And 
Although I got to say though, um, looking at building financial, so like I'm oh. representing representing a buyer in a in a homeowner association. I look at building financials, audited financial statements, compilation statements every day, and I think it's a good. You know, I I didn't like accounting, but it did help me in some ways to read a balance sheet, yeah, an income statement. You know, what is the statement of cash flows? Reviewing notes to financial statements, like it was just a good, yeah, it was a good, good primer. That's a good point. I look at that like doing board packages. So I, as as a realtor, have to do financial statements with buyers. And I think back to school when I was taking like financial courses, I never thought I would ever use that in everyday life or in my career. But I actually do because I've never looked at a financial statement like that until I was a realtor. And I'm like, wow. Little Little did you know. Yeah, little, little did I know. Um, okay, so you made a great comment about being younger and being out in the city and looking at these really tall buildings and just being like enamored with them. Like, wow, what do people do in the big city? But what's really cool about that is you ended up in one of these huge buildings down in the financial district with incredible views. You were working for a really large, reputable law firm in the city. And you decided, you know what, I'm going to go off on my own. So what sparked that in you? Yeah, I was working for um, a law firm um, doing almost the exact same type of work I was doing now and worked on like super interesting transactions. Uh, When you work at a a firm that size, you just, you're exposed to things, um, you know, to larger complicated transactions that I otherwise probably wouldn't have been exposed to. And at some point during the process, I realized I could do this on my own. Um, and there is risk and there's benefits to being self-employed um, and taking the plunge and starting your own business. And so the moment I really gave it a serious thought is when I was kind of just managing my own files, you know, orchestrating my own deals, put, you know, uh, had my own clientele. And I said, aha, I don't, you know, I could do this by myself and... Let me give it a try. And I looked into it and um, yeah, now I'm one of those people in the office buildings when I was a kid looking up like, who the hell's in there? What are they doing in there? Like, I, you know, you don't think there's people actually in there. They are in there. And we are now one of those people doing closings and meeting with clients and yeah. negotiating yeah. contracts and stuff. Yeah. That's just, that's cool to think about. I remember the first, well, Sam, you were actually the one enamored with New York City when we were little, because I never thought I'd even live in New York City. I always wanted to live there, and I did, and then I was like, gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) It's almost like, for some people, though, it's like accounting. Either it's for you or it's not for you. You know right away. I I loved it. I'm so glad I did it. I just couldn't see myself staying there, like, forever and having kids and dealing with, like, the hustle and bustle where – I don't know, so many people move like an hour or two outside and commute in, like that wasn't going to be for me. So, but yeah, you still get a unique energy every time you're there. If you ever lived there, it's like you fall right back. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, there's a lot of people who've, who've been thinking that during the middle of the pandemic saying, hell, I, I don't want to be in the city anymore. And there's a lot, there's been a large outflow of people from New York to Austin and Denver and St. Louis. I mean, you name it. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Um, okay, so I have two questions. They're kind of all, they're intertwined. So 
I want to hear about one of the most challenging deals you've had, but then kind of if you can weave into your story, because from a lawyer's perspective, I want to hear about this. Who can be more difficult in some transactions, like the real estate agents or the actual client and end user? Because I remember in one of our deals, I caught myself like about to call you off the hook because I was so stressed and uptight about the deal. And I had to like physically be like, Catherine, phone down. Other people are calling him. Like I, you can't behave this way, Catherine. <laughs> so I can't imagine other real estate agents. It must be really difficult because you have so many people meeting you at the same time. Yeah, I think like a big part, a big part of what a real estate attorney's um, their role in a transaction. I mean, obviously, it's the technical aspect of it. It's making sure you've got clean title and that your client's deed gets properly recorded and all that stuff. Yeah, that's like inherent. But the biggest thing that they don't teach you, and I'm sure that you're going to agree with me on this, is just the deals can be complicated and complex. Yes. You've got somebody who wants to shield their identity. You've got to form an LLC. They want to try and save mortgage recording tax. Like those sorts of things um, you got to be technical about and difficult. And then the, the wealthier the client, the more complicated their financial, you know, they could have a tr an institutional trustee and things. All complicated yeah. can be. But nothing is as complicated to me, uh, I think you'll agree, is the personalities on the deal they oftentimes make it a lot more difficult than it has to be, right? You can either have a complicated party on the other side of the deal, and then the other attorney will tell you, hey, listen, my client's a pain in the ass. It's difficult. They're not easy to work with. You've got to work with me on, on this, right? And I hear that a lot. And sometimes your own clients are difficult. And you've got to tell the other side, listen, I've got a very particular client. They want things their way. There's not a whole lot of room in negotiating. Navigating the personalities, um, and the difficulties of certain people, you've got to be a psychiatrist on a lot of deals. And clients think that the world is ending and their universe is, you've got to be able to talk to people through those issues. And that's the most complicated part of this job. We're in client services. We're providing clients with services. They yeah. want to feel like they are the most important person on your calendar. And you got to make them feel that way. And that sometimes can be challenging when you've got 75 of them. Um, but that's the job. You got to make them feel like they're the most important person. And then as far as the brokers go, they can also, they have their own, you know, quirks and nuances. They want to feel like you're putting their clients ahead of everybody else. And juggling all that is, um, a lot of gray in my hair, but it's, listen, it's exciting. I like it. It's, um, it keeps the day fresh and whenever Things get overly like you know st stressful, and I just think to myself, it's better than accounting. <laughs> it's better than accounting. That line next time. Remind yourself the reason you're here. <laughs> yeah. oh, I love that. No, but that's so true. And I mean, Sam's going to talk a little bit about being a realtor in Denver with you, and just the difference with being in real estate in one market versus another. But this is, you know, our dad to be very deep Andrew I hope you're ready our dad gives us business advice all the time we're very close with both of our parents but essentially David likes to preach to us right Sam mm -hmm. he preaches to us in the best way possible 
but he loves it. And he would definitely say to both of us when we're being overly emotional about, about a business situation or we're like pissed or angry, think with your mind and not your emotions. Yeah. It's so much easy, easier said than done, but you do such a good job at that. How do you think that's part of your personality or have you just worked hard on completely a moving emotion out of the deal because you're very talented at that. I'm training myself day by day to not be emotional, to focus on the end goal, which is closing the deal. But that's really hard. And based on all these situations that come up. It's so difficult. Like we're all, we're all human. It's almost it's sometimes impossible yeah. to not get emotional at, at, about, about things. And I, I do, I do catch myself getting emotional about it, but just like you, like I had, I had my family was growing up. I come from like a, a self-employed, you know, business owner household, and you kind of take notes when you're a kid and how they handle things. And um, and even now, I I my dad, I'll talk to him every you know every day. I'll talk to him about business and you know how the hell didn't you get upset with this? How didn't you get upset with that? How would you deal with this? And like to your point, the overarching advice that I've gotten is. Listen, you you've got to manage the the fires. You've got to manage the headaches. You've got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what are we here to do? Right? We're here to provide a service for our clients and grow our business. Right? That's it. And everything else is noise. And if it's if what you're dealing with isn't in furtherance of either one of those two objectives, you're just wasting, you know, you're wasting energy on it. And so that's been my kind of, um, it's kind of the, the roadmap I've followed. If it's not helping me either provide excellent service to my clients, or if it's not helping me grow my business, then I'm wasting my time on it. No. And, yeah. A hundred percent. And time is everything to people who are self-employed because ultimately time, money, your lifestyle, yeah, your bills, time is everything. So I agree a hundred percent. Sam, are you just going to say something? No, I was just going to say, I think in, you know, Denver, there's similar challenges with the real estate market because I think it's a little different than York because we're not a um, attorney state. So a lot more pressure, I guess, from that standpoint is put on the realtors to make sure you're being ethical and that you're explaining all the legal documents to your clients so that they understand, you know, lawyers are brought in when there are certain, you know, issues or situations that pop up, but it's definitely a different environment because you're, I'm not partnered with anyone else on, on deals. I'm just dealing with, you know, the client directly and the other agent and their, you know, um, buyers or sellers, um, more or less directly. So I experience similar stress to cat with difficult clients or, you know, other difficult, um, agents but I think some of the nuances aren't the same here just because I have all the legal documents and they sort of are what they are their standard forms and we can't change them so it sort of takes out I think some of the um bs that you guys might experience but I was interested if you could better explain Andrew for our listener sort of what the complexities are in a in the New York market or in an attorney state, you know, in general, um, and sort of if there are any big pain points that sort of come along with that. 
Yeah. So, but before I answer the question, tell me this, because I'm not as familiar with the Denver, the Denver, based in Denver, right? So is the market like just completely on fire? Or like, is it just? Yeah, it was really, really crazy in early 2021. So earlier this year, the inventory hit historic lows. Like we had under 2000 homes on the market in 11 counties. Um, and to have an even market, we need like 16,000. So it's an extreme seller's market. It's starting to soften slightly, but the inventory is still super low. Um, and so it's just been, I mean, like there were homes that I was trying to compete against for clients where there were 50 offers. Yeah, Andrew, let me put this in. I want to ask Sam, I'm going to say one thing and ask Sam a question. Sam, what uh for your listings when have you felt like a listing's been on the market for a long time like two weeks feels like a long time two weeks so but that's because the standard here for closing is 30 days so like you list a home typically takes one weekend in this market maybe two you're under contract and you're closed everyone gets paid everyone's done 30 days from there sometimes even faster but the standard is 30 days because Colorado's real estate commission has standard forms. And those are the forms that I utilize to do the transaction. So there are, there are unique situations where you might need special documentation, but for the most part, everything is on a standard form. Oh, what your sister would do for a 30 day standard closing window. I was just saying why, why I'm laughing and people are like, why the hell is Catrice like laughing when Sam talks? Sam didn't have her license, her real estate license, until January, Sam? No, last November. Oh, you got your license in November, but you didn't start as a realtor until... Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was negotiating deals over Thanksgiving when we were together for the holiday. And Sam had just got her license and had closed three deals before <laughs> the deals that I was negotiating over Thanksgiving when Sam wasn't a licensed real estate broker, those deals closed after Sam had closed three other deals in between the time. Cause it took like, I don't know, close to six months for those deals. To close. Oh. So that's why I'm laughing because it's a whole different world. Yeah. Totally different. <laughs> yeah it's the, the, the New York market's a different beast, different animal. Um, but, but to your point, Sam, like when you have that much pressure on a, um, on a market where there's such low inventory and such high demand, you end up, and I'm going to try and weave this into what the initial question was, Mm -hmm. when you have that much pressure into, uh, into the market, you end up getting a pool of buyers that do things. I don't want to say irrationally, but, um, reflective of the market that they're in. They start waiving appraisal contingencies. They start waiving mortgage contingencies. They, they overbid ask, like they do things and they act in a way that they're desperate just to get anything and get in the market. Yeah. And so New York is an interesting market in that, uh, you don't have to have a lawyer. Um, but everybody does have a lawyer. And I think what that does is it protects, um, you know, the buyer has a lawyer, the seller has a lawyer, the bank has a lawyer, the payoff bank has a lawyer, so the seller's bank, the building has a lawyer, management companies have lawyers, everybody's a lawyer. I should have a lawyer. I should have both. <laughs> yeah, the, the brokers don't. The brokers just, they, uh, yeah, they don't, but they, sometimes it's good. <laughs> um, and like, you know, I think, I think if every, when everybody has a lawyer, I think, you know, it, 
it, believe it or not, it does help the flow of deals move, move a bit more slowly in that there is organized, it's organized chaos with yeah. lawyers all being, you know, everybody being members of my counsel. So um, you don't have to have one in New York, um, but given just how complex the market could be with a co-op board approval process and quirky liens and judgments, everybody gets lawyers. And I think especially in a market that is tight, like we're currently in, just like you, I think it helps protect buyers who are just overly eager to say, I'm going to waive everything just to get the deal. Like I'll waive an appraisal contingent, but do they know what that means? Like, do they realize that if it appraises for half the sale price, they're gonna have to come out of pocket to make up the difference. And so, you know, I don't know what the mechanics are of um, the real estate process in Denver. I don't know if there's like contingencies for that, but I can tell you in New York, when, you know, buyers do things, sometimes you're like, I just want to make sure that you understand what you're doing. Yeah. It makes sense. And I mean, I've definitely been in situations where I tell, I work with a lot of first time home buyers and I had buyers who were moving from out of state and it was the second time we were trying to get them under contract. And they were like, I think we should waive the inspection. Like, I think we should do that this time. And the place was in really good shape from what I could see, but you just never know. And it was a like townhouse condo. And I had, you know, I said, if that's what you want to do, like, that's your right. You can choose to do that, but this is what it means. And I wrote them an email and made them respond to it to back myself later. Um, and it all worked out and we ended up beating out cash buyers probably because we waived an inspection. And, but it's, you know, as a realtor here, I try to be super ethical and try to at least like raise the standard of what people might think about realtors in general. And I never tell anyone, oh, we should just waive the inspection and you'll get this out. Or, oh, we should just, you know, waive your rights to an appraisal. In the end, like, sometimes you have to do it to maybe win in this market, but most people aren't going to do it without, like, fully understanding what that means, at least in my experience. But I'm sure there are people who something hasn't been properly explained or they signed a contract because they trusted their realtor, but they didn't really know what they signed. And it can be a freaky situation from that standpoint when I have people sign really quickly. I'm like, I'm glad you trust me, but I hope you know what you signed. Yeah, and listen, and and it, everybody's got different appetites for risk, right? My appetite for risk is different than yours. It's different than, than right. your system. And who are you to tell? Like, if somebody is willing to risk a deposit or, you know, uh, in order to get a deal, then, ha- like, our jobs, I think, in a lot of ways is just to advise clients of risk and pitfalls, but they're the ultimate deciders of, you know, how much risk are they taking on? That's it's for them to decide. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Exactly. Um, okay. And then my next question is, what advice would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur? Like someone who was in your position when you were working for a larger firm and realized, like, I could do this on my own or, um, you know, maybe someone who's in a career that they don't love and they're considering making a change? So I thought I was very prepared um, to start my own business. Like I, I listened to podcasts and read books on opening up law firms and I spoke to people and I, I was like, I felt like I was like very prepared, but there's no such thing as when you're opening up your own business, I don't care what you're doing. You can't be overly prepared. I wasn't overly prepared. I could have done even more than I did. And so my advice would be, if you think you're, you're prepared enough, do even more, right? Um, you, you can always 
um, be better prepared on syncing up bank accounts to certain things, creating processes and you know, deal flows and templates and marketing campaigns. Like you could always do more to be better prepared. Um, and that would be my advice. Um, and and I, the second thing I would say is, and I tell this to everybody, even you know interns and law students and things that I've worked with in the past, you've got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. I, I say this all the time. Um, because when you're starting out a business, there's going to be things that aren't your strong suit, right? Maybe you're not good at reconciling an account. Maybe you're not good at marketing. Maybe you're not good at, um, at you know, you name it. I don't know, but you're not going to be good at every component of a business and you've got to be comfortable with that because if you're not, you know, if you get uncomfortable with something and it, you shut down, that's a problem. So, um, uh, uh, prepare as much as humanly possible and, you know, try to be as comfortable with being uncomfortable. Those would be my two tidbits of advice. Have you had anyone who was like a mentor to you either before you became self-employed or after? Yeah, I've worked, you know, I've worked at a few different firms along the way. Um, and, and even other attorneys that I haven't worked for that I really respected. I respected their business models. I respected, you know, how they worked as lawyers. Um, and, you know, you you should lean on people that you respect, like right. look at how somebody practices, how long they've been practicing. And if you'll, if you know, or whatever business it is, if you're opening up a pizzeria and I like how they you know operate their business, I like the type of clientele they serve. I like their marketing approach, like, you know, use, use them, ask them, pick their brain. Um, and you don't have to copy everything, but things that you think work for you, utilize it. Right. No, I think that makes sense. I think people, uh, at least some sort of support system also helps when someone's making a, a big change. I know it's helped me. But look, so let me ask you, though, I, I want to ask you a question. It's like, how is it you, so you both got into real estate, like who's talked who into it? Because you're 20 minutes older, but your sister Cat, got into Cat, that's a very good observation. I under- love that question. <laughs> <laughs> love Cat talked me into it. I think... I always was interested in it. Always found it fascinating. Living in New York, sort of like a crazy place. Never thought I would ever buy there. And then when my husband and I moved to Denver and we rented, we realized, okay, like we have this great two bedroom apartment and a new building with a pool, but like let's downsize to one bedroom and start saving to buy a house because it felt like more and more attainable here. Um, and then I wasn't really enjoying working remotely. I didn't feel like a part of like, Denver and I wanted to feel more you know involved in the community here and then when the pandemic hit it really started to stick with me like okay like I should make a change what could I do and Kat started talking to me about Habitats by Cat, and oh you could partner with me on that and help me grow it and do all the communications and marketing which I'm doing but she was like I mean get your license and then you can like make some extra money until HBK grows and then you can leave your job because like you can't leave your job unless you have another job that's going to, you know, give you income. And so I started thinking about it. And then I talked to Bill and my parents and I dove into taking the test last year. So. Interesting. I think real estate's a great, it's a great way to meet people who um, are hungry that live in the same city as you. And then a lot of times I think that, you know, Kat, for example, introduced me to somebody named, uh, to Michael Redford, uh, who great guy. And you know, I, I like the type of people that you meet in the real estate industry. They're, uh, you know, they themselves are small business owners, right? They operate their own clientele. And I just, 
I think it's a, I think it's a good industry. I like it. I like it a lot. So interesting that you're in Denver. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've enjoyed it a lot. Kat and I now have even more to talk about every day than just, you know, personal stuff now that we're both dealing with the same uh, industry. So it's fun. Oh, the sibling rivalry must be intense. Like if me and my brother were in the same industry, we would talk so much trash. It'd be incredible. It's just not like we can't really. I mean, I guess like if dad encouraged a little bit more, Kat, which he doesn't because I feel like he doesn't want to peg us against each other. But oh, like, oh did, did you hear what deal I closed last right, week? Was like probably how the conversation probably like goes. Good, but the problem is I think Kat's ahead of me, even with the 30 day close time I have. I think you said you closed 10 deals this year, right, Kat? Sam, what did Andrew say? I'm a fucking shark. Yeah. <laughs> You're not keeping up. Let's go. I, I, I did say that. I'm deal seven tomorrow, so I need it's to do I have closed. I have, I've done there. Look, I think to Andrew's point, to tie this together, when I started real estate, who knew that COVID was going to be a thing? I left my full-time job summer of 2019 worked my ass off because I didn't have a salary for the first time in my career. And then six months later, COVID hit. And so I took all of last year to like plant seeds and like try to stay in touch with clients. And I was fortunate enough that all of that work came to fruition like quarter one and quarter two of this year, but it was not easy. And you have to... When you are starting a business, even like my real, as a real estate agent, that is, I have started a business, Habitat by Cat is a different business that Sam and I are growing together, but you have to know you're signing up to always have that gut feeling like I, I've never done this before and I have to really think about how I'm going to handle today. Right. <laughs> you just, you don't know what you don't know. And there's always going to be something that's new when you're self-employed and starting a business and that can be challenging, but I'm lucky to have my 20 by my side now in real estate and then also travel. So heartfelt. Kat. That was cute. <laughs> um, well, Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. Thank this, you. this was so much fun. And as a side note, you did a fantastic job for the real that video thank you for letting me come to your office <laughs> that was so much fun i love the views i'm gonna come back maybe just to have a couple cocktails in that conference <laughs> there, there was a draw there was a drawer in my office with uh with some 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 good good afternoon uh drinks <laughs> yeah and then maybe we'll talk sam into getting her license in new york and then you can work with both of us that's never happening <laughs> <laughs> Never say never. Never say never. Never say never, but unlikely. Maybe one day. day. Um, But okay, thank you everyone so much for tuning in and stay tuned. We'll be having another podcast two weeks from now. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having me.